This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. All right, fascinating, uh, and and it just shows you how students are so innovative and think forward and outside the box. Uh, we've certainly heard lots of, uh, in regard, especially this time of the year and over past years, past Septembers, about uh, sexual harassment, sexual assaults on campuses, trying to make campuses safer, uh, doing what we can in order to spread the word and make people more aware of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, especially doing during these early weeks uh, of, the stu- uh, of the school year. University of British Columbia Columbia, uh, coming out with a, a pretty cool idea too. What their student union di- has done is launched a campaign to raise awareness of sexual assault by wrapping coffee cups in sleeves that draw attention to UBC's uh, record in this department. Uh, the coffee sleeves make a uh, comparison showing that while 257 students were suspended over a 10-year period for plagiarism and cheating and all that sort of thing, uh, not one was, was suspended over a sexual assault during that time. It's this sort of in-your-face, making people aware of the situation uh, campaign that, that, that will really start to turn heads, especially on campus. So kudos to them for getting out ahead of it. Let's find out what's uh, happening locally. Uh, Gord Orbeau is with us, McMaster's directed, uh, Director of Public and Community Relations, and is with us now. Hello, Gord. How are you today? Good afternoon, Scott. I'm fine. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking the time to join us. A pretty innovative idea, what UBC is doing. Uh, is the message getting out? Well, I think um, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to um, to let your listeners know about the, um, the the work that's been happening here at McMaster and on campuses in Ontario over the last little while around this very important uh, topic. Um, you know, McMaster um, has approached this um, um, uh, this topic in a way of, of trying to um, further our efforts to be a safe and inclusive and respectful community. And there's been a number of things happening um, uh, in Ontario around this uh, topic. The, the, the province has asked uh, universities to have a standalone, clearly named uh, policy on sexual violence. And and uh, we will have uh, we have until January 1st of 2017 to to have that policy uh, in place. Um, that's not to say that we don't have current policies, obviously that that prohibit and uh, penalize uh, activities um, and behaviors. Uh, we have a sexual harassment policy. We have a student code of conduct. We have we have others. But the province had identified, and I think the universities have agreed that it's important to have a clearly identifiable, plainly written. Um, sexual violence policy. So we're working on that now. We're seeking input from a variety of, of uh, constituent groups across the campus, and we'll have that in place uh, for, for January uh, 1st. At the same time, though, we have a number of uh, well-established protocols for education, prevention, reporting, uh, support. Um, it includes uh, a recently hired sexual violence response coordinator uh, whose role here on campus is to ensure that uh, students and faculty, staff, and visitors to the campus understand um, um, the, the policies and procedures and protocols around this area, and to certainly be someone that would be there to provide counsel and support um, for survivors. So there's, there's many other training programs underway, uh, but that, that's sort of an overview of where we are today. 
so obviously uh, there's already policies in place, which I'm sure are, are updated and looked at uh, regularly or will be between now and 2017. Uh, 2017 is when it, it, it's implemented and in place for all across the land. How will that new policy, that new document that comes out in 2017, be different from what we're seeing now in, in universities across the land? Yeah, and that's a, a great question. What we've heard from um, our students is that um, it's difficult to navigate uh, the current uh, policies, uh, that, um, that there uh, are multiple policies that address these issues, that sometimes, the, you know, as uh, can be the case in a university setting, the policies are not clearly um, named or titled, and, so, um, and, and sometimes not written in, in everyday accessible language. Um, and so our challenge and our goal is to have a policy in place for January 1st that addresses specifically sexual violence and clearly identifies uh, the, um, the protocols, the penalties, and the other steps that we are taking to um, address this, uh, this concern. So I think it's, it's um, uh, understanding um, that, that feedback from students that the policies were difficult to, to, um, to find in some cases, were difficult to understand, and to make them clearer so that um, the community members uh, to whom these policies are meant to be support um, are able to access them and understand them. Uh, obviously, we can see the need for consistency here right the way across the country and, and some sort of standard that, that everybody abides by. And you can certainly understand colleges and universities uh, having to have them in order to operate. Um, are students getting the message of what is acceptable, what isn't? I mean, yeah. obviously, these sorts of guidelines will make it a lot more clear. But sometimes you don't need guidelines to point out the obvious, although I can certainly see why, why, why they're needed for everybody. Uh, are students getting the message here? Well, I think that's, that's also a very good question, uh, Scott. You know, the, our understanding of these matters has evolved over time. Uh, and, and, um, and so that's important that um, the university thinks about the way we are communicating this and training uh, students. So we've just come through our, our welcome week, our return to campus week, and we had very specific activities uh, during that time to, first of all, foster a respectful interaction uh, between students, to encourage them to have some discussion around what is consent, uh, ensuring that and assuring that all incoming students uh, have a clear understanding of, of the expectations of, of them as individuals to make sure that other programs are in place. So we have a, um, emergency poles located strategically around campus that connect directly to security. We have a walk-home program um, that students can, um, can call and, and, be, and, and have an, an escort to walk them home uh, during the evening. Um, our student wellness center um, provides counseling and other services. We've done uh, training with um, the uh, the community assistants who are living in our student residences on on campus student residences. So those um, um, students have been trained um, in terms of what to look for, how to engage with students, and how to give support if uh, a survivor identifies themselves as needing it. And that's part of the training as well. So how do we um, not only encourage students? To understand the services available to them, but how does how does a student or a staff member um, how are they trained to offer support uh, at a time of crisis? So all of those things have taken place, and, and we can do, we'll do more of that, and we'll we'll improve and evolve those 
those programs um, as the uh, as the uh, the, the year be- uh, continues. How is campus life different now than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago? Can you tell the difference? You were just talking about Welcome Week and, and what it was like uh, as the students all came back. Different in 2016 compared to 1996? Um, I think that uh, there, uh, there are differences. I think that the university certainly is a larger place today, and many universities in Ontario are, that, that um, through, uh, and this is good news, that more people, more students are coming to and have access to university education. I think that, uh, you know, this era of social media uh, changes uh, the way students uh, communicate uh, with each other uh, and with the wider world. Um, um, and so there, you know, that each student comes with, um, uh, with their own uh, social networks. And, and I think the, the understanding of, of privacy is, might, be, might be somewhat different, that students seem um, uh, interested in sharing uh, uh, personal details with their networks, um, certainly in a, in a day-to-day, um, uh, moment-to-moment uh, uh, system. Uh, and practice that was not available to them in, in you know 20 or 30 years ago, but I also think students have a uh, today have a uh, have a deeper and broader understanding of um, certainly issues around harassment uh, and violence. Um, uh, we have a deeper and I think better understanding of consent, uh, and so it's 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 uh, I think there there's there's been a deepening of that of that awareness um, today than there was. 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, you brought up uh, technology and, and obviously how that's changed the face of, of life everywhere and, and can't help but do the same on campus. Our, our attitudes towards sexuality and our attitudes towards uh, consent and, and what is acceptable, what isn't. Um, I, I guess, the, and, and I'll just cut right to the chase, was it wilder? Did it seem wilder back then than it did now? And, and, and maybe I'm looking at this from a Hollywood perspective, from a fun perspective, um, you know, and, and, or, or what was perceived as fun. Um, does it seem like a calmer place, or is that all still there? People are just smarter about it. Well, I would say in, the, in this past Welcome Week, I mean, we certainly want students to enjoy their orientation time at McMaster. We mm-hmm. want them to come and and. and you know, this is a, a, a unique time in their lives, and we want them to, to enjoy the experience. I think students understand now, though, that um, this is, um, uh, there, they, there is responsibilities that come along with that. And so I think you, if you looked at the last, uh, um, this past Welcome Week, um, we had um, a calendar that was really full of, of, of fun activities for students, some educational activities, some training activities, uh, uh, community building uh, events, um, but I think they also understand that there are um, that, that this is an, an important time in their life to enjoy themselves, but also this is an important time in their lives in terms of their their development as as citizens. And so, you know, the there is an open uh, access kind of view around social media, but you're also students. I think are aware they're creating um, sort of the breadcrumbs. Uh, of their of their of their lives, and so mm-hmm. it's important for I think they understand the responsibility that that comes in this era of uh, perceived openness as well. So there is a I think there's a balance, and I think our students understand that. Um, you know, um, they we have some 17 year olds who are coming to university because we no longer have that grade 13 year. So um, that must be difficult. 
and I think that's the importance of the of the campus um, uh, program for students that um, and certainly those that are coming to live in residence. So that training of the of the community assistants uh, who are living in uh, in residence. You know, some universities call them dons, um, but the training of those positions critical, uh, and then the opportunity for those younger students to um, to have a, a network. Uh, and be part of a of a larger group, uh, either within their residence or within student clubs, or teams, or those kinds of things, to uh, so that they can feel a, 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 like they're a member of, commu- of a of a community. So yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a different time, as you said, than it was 20 or 30 years ago. In some ways, it's it's much better. Our understanding is is much better. Our um, the programming we have in place is much more developed than it was uh, 20 or 30 years ago. And, you know, you talked about how much it's different now just simply with social media itself and how that has changed growing up. But it also has a certain self-policing aspect to it, which has, bro- which has brought a lot of these issues to the forefront, hasn't it? Absolutely. So, um, and, and that's a great point as well, that, you know, we, um, we are hearing about and learning more through those social channels um, than we've ever done before. Uh, I think students um, now uh, understand that they um, they need to make their voices known. They need to bring their concerns forward. And I think it's the role of, and responsibility of the university to be open to that and then to um, take that those concerns and to do the things that we've done. So many of the of the initiatives that are underway are are done in consultation with the stu- our student union are uh, have been constructed in ways. Um, the, uh, that are governed and informed by student feedback. Uh, and this, this, the sexual violence policy we're working on will take uh, has is being based on that as well. So, so I think that, you know it's it's um, um, there are some um, uh, dangers to uh, in terms of uh, privacy to, in social media, but there are there are great learning opportunities too. Harder for students today or just different? Well, I think. I, I think it's it is a it's a, a challenging time to be a student, and I don't you know I don't know I think if you talk to any any incoming university student in any era, they would probably yeah. <laughs> uh, say it was it's it's hard. It's a time of transition yeah. uh, in their in their lives. Um, but I think there are uh, you know we haven't talked about the mental health piece of all of this, but that's the other area that we're really um, working um, diligently in is 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 to ensure there are supports mental health supports, because there's a lot of pressure and stress on young people today. You know, there are, there are societal expectations, there are performance expectations, sometimes there are family expectations, um, you know, that this is a, a significant investment, financial investment, uh, to come to a university. Uh, so all of those pressures um, uh, and, you know, go along with just the regular peer pressures that, that, that students experience. Um, and so it can be, it's a, it's a challenge and, and difficulty to go through that transition facing all of those, uh, all of those pressures. And so, you know, the, the, the approach we take here is to um, ensure that, um, that, they're, that the students realize they don't have to do this alone, uh, to encourage community and to encourage them to understand all of the supports and all of the, all of the, the help that's available to them across the campus. 
Gord Arbo is with us, McMaster's Director of Public Relations, uh, Public and Community Relations, and of course, uh, talking about the first uh, few weeks of school, how new students get uh, adjusted or, or, and slowly become adjusted, and of course, the services and what is available to them uh, as from everything from sexual assault right through to uh, mental illness. Gord, thanks very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Great. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Thank you. Uh, thanks for calling me. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right. Over the weekend, Hillary Clinton was carried uh, away into a van. That sort of sounds a bit dramatic. She's obviously uh, started to, uh, well, she lost her balance, it appeared. Uh, it looked like uh, three guys had to grab her. Uh, immediately, the Secret Service people uh, formed like their wall around uh uh, Hillary Clinton to make it look like they were trying to hide her from view. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, when all that happens and it, 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 we see the footage, it's it looks like she's physically ill, that she has fainted or at least collapsed in some form. Um, then she says, no, not a problem. I'm not sure if that's helping her any. I mean, here's a lady who's having issues with honesty and transparency anyway. Why not just say, hey, you know what? Uh, this is a grueling campaign trail. It's taken its toll on me, and uh, this is what happened, and now I'm fine. And I'm working, you know, we all get sick. But it seems that she does more to shoot herself in their foot than she does anything. To talk more about all of this and, of course, the fact that uh, her and Trump both say that they are now going to reveal their entire medical I guess not entire, but certainly uh, a medical checkup from their doctor and, and to, to give us the all clear for both of them. I understand Trump's going to do it on the Dr. Oz show. To talk more about all of this, Michael Diamond is with us, conservative uh, political pundit and on the line with us now. Hello, Michael. How are you today? Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time to join us. You know, we all get sick, Michael. Uh, most probably didn't think this was a big deal. Uh, I've got this. I've got that. I've got the flu. I'm going to feel better. Why, why did she try to downplay this so much? You know, perhaps, the, well, there's a few things to unpack here. One, the Clintons not being honest with us about anything has been something that we and the public who have observed them for the last 30 years have gotten incredibly used to. So we shouldn't be surprised that the Clintons have deceived or lied to us about anything or everything. We also know there's, you know, allegations that Bill Clinton went to Switzerland during his presidency to have uh, some plastic surgery done on uh, his uh, parts that we'll never see to uh, fool Paul the Jones. So we know this is something that they have done in the past. Now, why would Hillary Clinton have done Perhaps it's because of the immense pressure that the Trump campaign, the deplorable folks, as she likes to say, put on her to talk about her health because of some of their speculation, which turned out to uh, have some truth behind it. So does this hurt her from an honesty perspective, from a transparency perspective? You know, here we have someone who doesn't seem to be telling us all the truth and really isn't, you know, in what may be nothing, isn't telling us something about her health. Well, I think that's that, that's the point here that matters, is that this isn't necessarily about Hillary Clinton's health. As David Axelrod, the Obama strategist, tweeted out yesterday, antibiotics can take care of pneumonia. We all know people who've gotten sick, a cold, a, a viral infection, whatever. We know that that comes and goes. But we know that what there isn't a cure for, there isn't a pill to take, is from a lack of transparency and dishonesty. So the fact that she's sort of addressed this, you know, fainting and pneumonia issue in the same way she addressed her email issue is just very strange. Uh, Is there a general feeling that both candidates are kind of old for this job? 
Um, that they're both old for this job? Yeah, that they may be older than what Americans would like. I mean, I don't know what the what the perfect age is to be president or, or leader of any country, but is there is there now a buzz going around America that you know both these people are they're not yet they're not spring chickens? Well, let's put it this way: had either party nominated someone in a younger demographic than the other, the age issue would be a huge factor, just as it was when Hillary Clinton's husband ran for re-election in 1996 against Bob Dole, who was in his 70s. The only reason we're not talking about age as much is because, you know, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are contemporaries uh, on the age front. So so that's why it's not an issue. But against any other candidate, it certainly would be. If it was Donald Trump versus Tim Kaine, folks would be talking about how old uh, uh, Donald Trump is. If uh, Mike Pence was on the front of the ticket, folks would be talking about Hillary Clinton's age, not just her health. Uh, d- does this matter to voters? I think that when you look at it, if you look at recent candidates, you've had a lot of scrutiny placed on their uh, health. Obviously, the main one in recent times was John McCain. And when voters looked at that, it was, you know, I want to vote for John McCain. He'd be a great president. But this is a man who's old. He was malnourished for many years while he was held captive. And he had several bouts with cancer. If I vote for John McCain and, God forbid, he dies, yikes. I wake up and Sarah Palin's my my president. I don't want that. I mean, with Hillary Clinton, when you're looking at it, you know, obviously, hopefully, if she is elected, she will serve a full term and live into a very, very old old age and enjoy good health. But in the case that that doesn't happen, that's why vice presidential picks matter. She chose very well. So, you know, you can't look at it and say, you know, you vote for Clinton, you're going to end up with that Tim Kaine. Because, you know, quite frankly, Tim Kaine's a lot more likable than Hillary Clinton. Hmm. Uh, Can she get ahead of this? If, uh, you know, if she is able to recover, and, you know, I think she said the doctors had said it was going to be, you know, a five-day recovery and, and bounce back, sure. But what, what she will always have is, you know, Trump, tr- Trump had questioned this. Trump had thrown it out there. His supporters were said, you know, Rudy Giuliani was called irresponsible for speculating on Hillary Clinton's health. Hillary Clinton went and proved that there was some validity there. So it's going to be very hard for her to shake this. And we do know that Donald Trump, if we look at his performance on the Republican uh, primary debates, had no problems uh, just, you know, throwing personal attacks and mud like nobody else we've seen before. So this will certainly come up a week from uh, this coming Monday when the candidates get together to debate. So both say that they're going to release some sort of both I guess are going to the doctor and releasing reports that they're all in good health Uh, so what are we going to see what's going to come out of this you know, I mean, with Trump, we're going to see a lot of theatrics. We know his doctor doesn't seem to be, you know, I don't know if uh, you, but I'm sure many of your uh, listeners here uh, are familiar with uh, Dr. Nick Riviera of the Simpsons fame. Uh, Trump's doctor certainly seems to fit that mold. And, you, know, you, can, you can certainly find the doctor to say whatever you would like in many cases. Not many, but you can find some. And uh, so Trump's going to go on Dr. Oz's show, and it's going to be great theater as his entire campaign, even if you think he's uh, deplorable. Uh, his campaign has certainly been fun to watch. So I'm going to be setting my PVR to do something I never thought I would do. Watching Dr. Dr. Oz's <laughs> program because it's going to be hilarious, and I think you all should do that too. And, oh uh, man! So and, what do you? Know, th- and it is on it is on your sister network, uh, Global. So yeah, uh, it's yeah. a great idea. Oh yeah, we can get it up here. Um, <laughs> Michael, is this good politics? Is it good PR? I mean, why Dr. Oz? Uh, you know what? He has a huge audience. I mean, so I actually think this is a good place for Donald Trump. To we all know he has a good audience, Michael. That's not the issue. No, for Donald Trump, we're talking politics. We're not talking policy. We're talking practical politics here. Who watches Dr. Oz's show? Mm. Old women. people. Yeah, yeah. Old people and yeah, women. Donald yeah. Trump has struggled with women, including white women, who he should not be struggling with. Good point. This is an opportunity for him to be approachable, be on a show that, you know, be introduced to them. 
be introduced to Dr. Oz's audience by someone that tr- they trust. They don't trust Donald Trump, and now they have an opportunity to, Donald Trump has an opportunity to be introduced to these people from someone that they go and buy any vitamin he says they should take Mm. to lose weight, to feel better, to be younger. (laughs) They're not going to get to meet a presidential candidate that way. I think it's actually a very good opportunity for Donald Trump. So is Dr. Oz a supporter of Trump? Do we know? I have no idea, uh, but by taking him on and allowing to do that, he's either exploiting the biggest uh, dumpster fire attention getter possible or is uh, very possibly a supporter of uh, the Donald, maybe part of that basket of detestables. So will people look at this as what you've just said, just a great way to reach a targeted audience, or will they look at this and say, you know what, you shouldn't be mixing politics with afternoon talk show look, type I mean, stuff? we're used to this. The folks have gone on Oprah Winfrey show. Yeah. Bill Clinton certainly had a bounce by putting on a pair of dark sunglasses, pulling a saxophone, and going on Arsenio Hall show. Yeah. So we're used to this. You know, Hillary Clinton is a lot more comfortable talking to uh, Jimmy Kimmel or Steve Colbert, Colbert than any actual reporter. So this is how folks have been getting to increasingly know their presidential candidates. Yeah, I guess that train's already left the station, hasn't it? Yeah, we can't blame. We can blame Donald Trump for a lot, not that. Yeah, yeah, good point. All right, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton started to chastise uh, the followers of Donald Trump, uh, calling them deplorables. Why would you ever take shots at people who, although they might be core supporters and never vote for you, Boy, how are people going to perceive this? Is this a low blow or something everybody knows? It's not an attack on the candidate. It's an attack on democracy itself. You cannot question if we believe in universal franchise, of uh, universal suffrage, and that everyone has a franchise. We have to respect the way those people choose to exercise their franchise, even if we think it is deplorable in how they are doing so, because they have every right to do it. Had Hillary Clinton been more pointed and used her comments uh, that night, like what she did in her statement clarifying it, and pointed out that Donald Trump's candidacy is attracting some of the worst in America, like David Duke, for example. And she mm-hmm. specifically talked about it that way. She would have been fair and free to do it. But by saying that 64 million Americans approximately belong in what she called the basket of deplorable was in itself deplorable. And, you know, uh, but on the flip side, Donald Trump says he has great respect for all of Hillary Clinton supporters, but then he needs to have an asterisk on that because it doesn't apply to women, Muslims, <laughs> African Americans, Hispanics, Mexican judges, uh, you know, gold star families. So, so both candidates are guilty of this. Trump just can get away with it better because he's amusing. All right. So you've been watching this. We're 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 starting an important uh, uh, piece of this. The the last uh, dash to the to to the election in November. What are your thoughts on how this is unfolding? Folded to date. Uh, many said way back when that it wouldn't necessarily be uh, Trump pulling out a win, but Hillary shooting herself in the foot, which we've certainly seen, you know, and how she's handled this situation with her health and, and perhaps the deplorables. How, how do you think it's going so far? You know, I think that's a, that's a very good point. And both of these candidates are so unlikable that whoever this election is about more will be the loser. So if we're talking about Hillary Clinton and dishonesty, she will lose. And if we're talking about Donald Trump and his flaws, he will lose. Low voter turnout, are you expecting it, or high voter turnout? You know what, it, will be, it won't be, I'd say, you know, a huge shift in voter turnout, but it's who will turn out. So I think we're going to see a lot of those Obama coalition folks 
not show up. So it's going to look more like the last couple of midterm elections than it did like the last two presidential elections. And ultimately, that is to Donald Trump's benefit. Uh, many, just like Hillary, are thinking that Hillary could do. Some may think that, that Trump may implode. And of course, it, it comes down to not being able to unify the party. How is that going? Um, are, are people just hanging on to the bandwagon as long as they can and just willing to, to, to ride it till the very end and, and then perhaps jump off just before it goes over the cliff? Well, I think where we'll see, you know, the support shrink is you'll see Jill Stein, the Green Party's candidate numbers. She's at about 4% in polling. That's going to shrink. Gary Johnson, who's anywhere between, depending on states, 15 to about 7%, let's say. You're going to see that shrink, and you'll see those go to, in, in both directions. Now, Trump's recent rise in the polls, because he has not closed, he has not uh, passed Hillary, but he certainly closed the gap. And where that's come from, actually, is traditional Republican supporters, folks who voted for George W. Bush, Mitt Romney, John McCain, your, your Republican base, going home to uh, to Donald Trump. They had been uncomfortable with him since he did the campaign reset. Kellyanne Conway has been able to keep him, for him, somewhat message discipline. You know, the other day he had an opportunity to make comments about Hillary Clinton's health. He just said he didn't know what the, the reporter was talking about when asked. Uh, has definitely attracted some of those Republicans back. And if he was able, if he's able to get a parody with Hillary Clinton of getting sort of that, you know, 90% Democrats voting for Hillary, 90% of Republicans voting for Donald Trump, he'll be in a very strong contention to win this. All right, debates coming up. Uh, This should be quite a freak show. Uh, What are you expecting? What are your predictions here? You know, I think these will be highly watched debates because Donald Trump is someone who, for uh, since you know the mid two thousands, people by the millions have tuned into television stations to watch. So we're going to see that. We're going to see a larger and expanded audience, and I think we're going to see an unruly debate. We're going to see Hillary Clinton, who's a very strong debater, has never debated someone like uh, uh, Donald Trump before. She's debated Barack Obama, who you know, technically mm-hmm. speaking, definitely a superior uh, intellect and debater than Donald Trump or Joe Biden. People People who've been in politics, Donald Trump's going to throw that on his head, and he's going to talk about Monica. He's going to talk. He's going to put his tongue right on the third rail of politics, which for anyone else wouldn't work. And we're going to have to see how Hillary responds. That if she, if she, if I were her, I would be prepared to say when Donald Trump does one of those personal attacks, I'd say, you know what, Donald Trump is Ronald Reagan, the leader of your party, who you voted against twice, said, "There you go again." And if she could quote Reagan and make a joke about it, she will look like the bigger person. She'll look cool and calm and. Uh, it will blow up in Trump's face. If she reacts to him, it's a problem. Is that what she has to do, just sort of stick to one method of shutting him down and just keep repeating it over and over and over again? Exactly. And if you look at the Republican debates, the only candidates, uh, you know, and a lot of my friends who may be listening will think that I'm being biased or be like, I'm a fan of Jeb Bush, but the only candidate who actually had any sort of success in doing that was Jeb Bush in one of the debates. And he kept on saying to Donald Trump, how tough does it be to take away a house from an 80-year-old widow? And, and if, if you just have one consistent line that you know might rattle him, or if you can just, you know, laugh it off with the audience, if she gets the audience to laugh at Donald Trump, she will win. And I think by quoting Reagan in a way like that, that would be, that would be my way of embarrassing Donald Trump. How does he survive? He, he survives by getting under her skin. So yeah. he, first of all, he needs to just defy ex- beat expectations, which he probably will, because I think they're pretty low. People expect him to be a dumpster fire and a hot mess. So, But if he can also get under her skin and get that reaction, he proves that she's not temperamentally fit, as she likes to say about him, to be president. If he can get her to erupt, 
that's a very good day for him. But I heard, because uh, it seems lately, and this comes in spits and spurts, but that they're both saying the same thing. They're both calling each other the same thing. And and I and I read a, a poll last week, I believe it was, that said that that people seem to respond to her when she does attack him. So can she can she take any other route? Does she have to attack the guy? I think she can just laugh it off and just go and be serious. I think that's a, a very effective attack on Donald Trump. And she's like, you know, you know, I'm not going to engage in this personal, petty, vindictive politics. Uh, we're going to talk about issue X. And if you look back at the Republican uh, primaries, he doesn't know what half of these very important matters are, like the nuclear triad. So she could just confuse him and prove that he's not presidential, that she's laughing it off, and that she's cool under pressure. That's what I think she is, is really her best bet. I'm going to steal your term dumpster fire. That's fabulous. <laughs> oh, man. It's going to be interesting viewing, isn't it? Oh, I cannot wait. You know, uh, uh, you can uh, tune on to Twitter at MTM Diamond. I promise I will live tweet the debates. Michael Diamond has been with us, conservative political pundit, uh, obviously out of the United States. Michael, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Doug Ford called a press conference uh, in Toronto, Etobicoke, at his uh, mother's home. And most or a lot thought that perhaps it was about political ambition, what was happening in his future, uh, but announced that uh, he had written a tell-all book. Uh, I guess uh, Rob was also involved in this and and different members of the family as well. Here's a couple of clips from that press conference. This is Doug Ford on politics and running, and if he will. You're asking me, I've never said I was going to be prime minister, but if you're putting me up against Justin Trudeau, a camp counselor and a part-time drama teacher, that answers everything. He is not qualified to be prime minister. Most of this all had to do with the book, uh, that is being released by the Ford family. It's no holds barred with the media. You're going to be named in here. There's no politician safe in this country. When this comes out, from the prime minister to the premier to the mayor, it's going to rock the media world. It's going to rock the political world. Wow, the media world is going to rock the political world. Joe, Joe Warmington is with us, columnist for your Toronto Sun, was there. He is with us now. Hello, Joe. How you doing today? I'm doing okay. I, from what I, what Doug said, I'm the only one that's it's okay. So <laughs> I guess I don't have to worry. I get the Toronto Star guys on. The one. Yeah, exactly. Oh, don't worry. We'll get there. Uh, so uh, first of all, let me ask you: What were your thoughts of the pl- uh, press conference today? Um, and and let me ask you: Do you think that uh, Doug Ford was taking advantage of his uh, his political prowess here by by gathering the media there to launch a a book launch, or do you think this is just part of the bigger scheme when he will eventually announce he's running for something? Well, he didn't force anybody to be there. He didn't yep. lock the doors, and it's certainly good for your show and my column and the like so you know he's not at fault there that's the media's problem yep uh to answer your first question i mean i i i didn't really think that he was going to clarify his political ambitions scott but i you know i i wasn't sure people were saying that there was whispers to that effect i i was i thought maybe a book or a movie i didn't know i mean he didn't tell me so until i got there i didn't know what it was but i tweeted out something about maybe a book or a movie because it, it crossed my mind so, no, I, I, I don't think he's taking advantage of anybody. I mean, look, at these guys have been through a lot. They're going through a lot today. I mean, you know, you got to remember that 
a lot of the stuff that was said about Rob wasn't true. Yeah. And the rest of it was people really coming after them politically and through the media. So I see their side of it, and I see both sides of it. So uh, do you think this is setting the stage for a larger announcement later down the road? Yeah, I think it was a really smart way to do it in that, you know, you start to think about Doug Ford as a potential candidate for the Conservative Party. And, you know, you look at it yesterday, Peter McKay announced he's not going to run. I think a lot of people were kind of waiting for that because he's sort of the most qualified and the most logical person that I can think of. And so, yeah, I do think it's possible that you'll see him run for the Conservative. I just wish he would do it instead of uh, teasing, as you were kind of alluding to. And let's just get at this instead of all the uh, theatrics. Now, do you think you're mentioned in the book? I don't know, but uh, you know what? He said it in the news conference. I don't know if you have that clip, but, uh, you know, I heard it uh, on one station here in Toronto. So he said that I did okay. So, you know, I, I guess I could wear that as a badge of honor or, or the opposite. Depends. I always find that, uh, you know, it, it, I guess you, you kind of like it better when the politicians hate you because then you think, well, you've done your job better. In my case, so I, I feel that I covered that whole story from a fair lens yeah. and you know i brought out most of the you know developments uh in the in all of it came through my column because of that style and of course i wasn't always uh it wasn't always a rosy relationship with rob or doug as you know but it was always a fair one uh, i knew them both before all of this and uh, you know i knew them both after and my style is like that anyway you know i i, I can battle with a chief blair and yet yesterday i was talking to him at Chief McCormick's funeral. So, you know, it's partially my style as well. Hmm. So what do you think this book is going to be like? I mean, boy, the, the way he was selling it earlier today, it's it's going to rock the media world. It's just going to tell it from, uh, you know, again, just reading and I'm talking to Doug a little bit after, it's going to tell it from their point of view, and it's going to criticize some of these people that were coming after them and tell some stories that they knew about uh, these people, because there was a lot of hypocrisy there. Look, at checkbook journalism didn't exist in Canada uh, that I'd ever seen before until the Toronto Star introduced it when they were, you know, negotiating with an extortion tape in a car. And, you know, again, they've they kind of got a pass on that. I mean, look, at those same idiots called the Toronto Sun editors, too, mm-hmm. about buying this thing. But nobody's going to go meet with some people in a car. What should have happened is they should have called the police. And then, of course, you know, the, the whole misreporting and it's basically false reporting of what the mayor said and that you know most people think that he was homophobic and he said things about his own players uh, you know there were black kids and things like that and of course all of that was a lie and it wasn't right and it was just very very irresponsible reporting so some of that will be in there or they won't like it because uh, you know they're not you know they're, they're, I mean it was an agenda they wanted to take him out as mayor he wanted to hang on as mayor and, uh, you know, obviously it's too bad that he got sick, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Look, this was all a political story from the beginning. Hmm. How do you think uh, Torontonians or even Canadians, Ontarians, what have you, how do you think uh, people view this after uh, the passing of Rob Ford as, pri- as opposed to prior when we were in the heat and the mess and, and everything that was going on? How do you think people's perception changed? Or do you think it did? No, it did. I mean, there's no question about it that people liked Rob Ford and they felt sorry for him and they knew that he was a guy that got a little carried away with 
with alcohol and then, you know, delving a little bit into the uh, illegal drugs that ravaged the streets of Toronto and Hamilton. And so, you know, it happened and it wasn't nice and I think people were disappointed in that. But they also saw the human side of the guy. Could not like Rob Ford. Now, Rob Ford's a different character. I like him a lot. I know a lot of people like him. He's not Rob. He knows he's not Rob. He was a little more Rob-like today. I thought he did very well today, especially that one part where he was talking about the Prime Minister, and he was not worried about what people were thinking, and he wasn't worried about being liked. He was just telling it how he felt, and that was a uh, Rob in a nutshell. And that, you know, if, in my case, uh, he would he would rip my ear off, and you know, I would report it, and. Uh, the same time, the next time he called you, it was like that. You know, didn't happen. He wasn't one of these grudge people right. that we run into in this business all the time. You said that they're different. How are they different? Describe well, I them. I think the political instincts of Rob are unparalleled, really, with anybody. I mean, I think you could put them up there with Prime Minister Trudeau's or, or you know, Harper before people that, of that level that kind of have an understanding of people and the country and where it's at, or the, you know, the city. And Rob had an uncanny, skooky kind of ability to understand politics. Uh, Doug, um, he's about halfway there. You know, he doesn't really have the political acumen that you need. Uh, he, his timing is off. Uh, he misses pitches that he should hit, things like that. Right. I don't know if you can teach that, but he's better. Uh, the one thing about Doug, though, that he does exude is you know he's honest. You know that he, he's not going to, you know, you're pretty sure he's not going to steal a penny or mishandle a penny where when you're talking about the the other stuff you're talking about on the show today, um, you know, you're not so sure, are you? You know, like when you think of the premier or Mm -hmm. the prime minister, you know, you're not sure that the dollars are really all that, you know, handled well. And with Doug, I think that, you know, that's the most important thing with both Doug and Rob is he knew the money wasn't going to be frittered away. Do you think this book will uh, hurt or help Doug's political career? I think it's going to help it. I don't think that the media are really going to ever like him, just like they don't like Trump. I mean, the media is it's only, I'm talking about American media here, but even Canadian media. Mm-hmm. I heard a lot of it today. They're not really honest about how they cover a story. I, the reason why I was called out today and given a pat on the back is because I covered all sides of it. And I know you try to do that, Scott. I mean, obviously, 900, and I've been affiliated with the station for the last 20 years. I've always noticed that, that all sides, all through the fourth thing, I was always invited on to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But, in the, you know, you look at the American thing where you've got Hillary Clinton, where she basically is bobbing her head. It's not the first time. It's not that she hasn't had brain surgery before and all these different things, and yet they don't cover the story. And not only that, they tell you that you shouldn't ask about it because that makes you sexist or whatever, that whole liberal game. And I think that when it comes back to the Fords and, and all that, they're going to face all of that. Because the media is really in the tank with the liberals. The Liberal Party is running everything in this province and in this country. They're trying to do it, obviously, in the U.S. as well. And, and that's okay. Their, their motto is to get power at all costs and keep it at all costs. And there's some good people and good programs inside of it. But there's also this, this business of the shun and shame thing, yeah. where, you know, if you're, you know, you're not cool, really, or if you like Donald Trump or you like Rob Ford, there's something wrong with you and you're not worth it even talking to. I get those emails all day Yeah, it long. seems like we're in a land of extremes now, Joe. Yeah. It seems like you're extreme to the left, you're extreme to the right. There's no there's no common ground in the center anymore, it seems. Right, and, and of course there is, because that's where most people are. Yeah. The hydro bills, the, you know, getting the kids to school on the school buses, and you know, all these things. We have a collective interest 
when I started this business, I started in 1986, and it's a long time ago. My first day was the day that the space shuttle exploded. Mm. And, you know, I don't remember all of this vitriol. I remember good political debate, and, you know, you, you understood who liberals were and who conservatives were, but none of this uh, I won't talk to you thing. And I, I remember, you know, those great stories about Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill uh, battling it out in the day and going for a drink at nightcap at night. And I think that's the way it should be. I think it's uh, positive and healthy. That's the way I approach it. You, you know, with Hillary and with Trump, I've met them both, and I like them both. And, you know, I, I don't think either of them will be uh, bad as president if they are both there. I mean, I still think that it's possibly going to see Joe Biden in this race, and I think that he could very well win the race, too. So it's an interesting dynamic. But that's the whole thing with our business and politics and all that. It's not a lock. And you don't have to think one particular way all the time. You can kind of look at things issue by issue. And I think that's what I try to encourage people to do. And also to remember to respect people. And when, It's not personal. This personal attack stuff is not my thing. I, I even Doug today going after the prime minister the way he did. I was sort of cringing because I thought, you know what, he is the prime minister. And, you know, go after him on things like where were you at the 9-11, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or what, what about the, uh, you know, the interpreters I'm after him about. You know, let's get them over here, things like that, but not to talk about what he was as a kid and all that, because, you know, that's already been done. And that strategy, as my photographer, Ernest Rosick, pointed out, he said that didn't work for Harper. Good you know, point. Business of he's not ready. Yep, good point. Joe Warmington has been with us, columnist for your Toronto Sun, speaking about the Doug Ford uh, press conference earlier on today. Joe, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. You can read my stuff on torontosun.com. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Earlier today, Doug Ford held a press conference. Uh, Some thought it was going to be uh, to announce political aspirations. Turns out it's to announce a tell-all book. However, certainly didn't rule out uh, the tell-all book. Is this good politics, Uh, bringing everybody to the home to launch a book? Or is it just the first uh, step uh, on the ladder of many uh, as far as good PR to a, uh, a political success story. To talk more about all of this, Alyssa Freeman is with us, Principal Alyssa PR Communications, and with us now. Hello, Alyssa. How are you today? Ooh, this is a juicy one. Isn't it, though? Oh. It's going to rock the media world, Alyssa. <laughs> it's going to rock it. And you know what? It might and might not, but I'll tell you, one per- one company that's happy about all this is HarperCollins. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, just like any staged political photo op, this whole announcement was staged. The rhetoric was very carefully crafted. It may sound like it's all, you know, bluster and he just... But listen, this has this is a very carefully staged photo op. All right, tell us about it. What are the stages here? How is this all going to play out? Okay, well, first of all, let's let's start from the beginning. This is in front of his mom's house. Mm-hmm. Okay, so even though Doug Ford has very high political aspirations, he's still a man of the people. So he doesn't do it at a hotel. He doesn't do it down by city hall. He does it on neutral ground, his ground, his territory, which is in front of his mom's house. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. The second thing is, is that, you know, the media comes and they're not sure, you know, what's going on. They think this is going to be another Ford bluster fest. And you can see by the tweets that are happening, oh, here we are on the front lawn. Here's a statue of a bird. Here, you know, they're, they're sort of not taking this very seriously. And then Doug Ford just lays into everybody. Um, you know, he has the media there covering him. So he's taking great delight in saying that he has this tell-all book. Now, listen, between you and me, 
you know, there's tell-all and then there's libelous. Mm -hmm. But from a PR perspective, when HarperCollins agrees to uh, publishing this type of book, which apparently has been in the works for some time, you know, this is manna from heaven in terms of pre-publicity. And whenever you're an author, the one thing you want to do is garner pre-publicity because that means early sales. Mm -hmm. So if you can do that successfully, and who knows, you know, uh, the the only thing I didn't hear him say was go on to Amazon, right now, and order your book. (laughs) Maybe he should have autographed copies right there. Well, you know what? I'm I'm kind of surprised he sort of didn't wave a manuscript, you know. Along uh, with a free bobblehead doll. You know, flapping in the wind. But the other thing that this uh, book allows him to do is what I call is the old-fashioned political whistle-stop tour. And Doug Ford made no bones about, A, that he's going to name names. And you and I can both figure out the names that he's going to name mm-hmm. in this, but, you know, starting with the people at the Toronto Star. And then he's going to do this political whistle-stop tour for anybody who is, will listen to him. Now, when you're doing a national whistle-stop tour, so if you start in Halifax and make your way across the country, if people are interested in the extremes of the country and what Doug Ford has to say, what this does to me is foreshadow that he has national political aspirations. And obviously, him taking on Justin Trudeau by name, not just the premier won't be, you know, he mentioned other people by their title, but by mentioning Trudeau by name as a uh, camp counselor and derided him as a part-time drama teacher says exactly is is not any sort of like secret clue as to where he wants to go with this. You know, our mad dash for our 15 minutes of fame has turned us all into a world of extremes, has it not? It seems it seems in our politics it's extreme left or it's extreme right. Everything we're doing is one extreme to the other. Why is that? Well, you know, I think that, first of all, you want to be attention-getting. So yeah. if you're going to play middle of the road, you're not going to get attention. Right. So he also knows that the media will take a story and run with it in any which way. So he left enough red herring clues for people to go, you know, uh, who knows how far along with this narrative. Um, he's also hitting sort of a pocket in the way people are thinking now and the way people are voting now with what's going on in in the states. Mm -hmm. So as whereas we thought someone like Trump would never have, you know, a a hope in in becoming president, now some people are shaking their heads and thinking, oh my goodness, this could happen. So he's kind of hitting a pocket in the way people think that the people who have have followed him and subscribed to their narrative and have always supported the Fords, you know, this might be a good time for him to ride a wave of a particular sentiment that hasn't necessarily been there before. Wow, you add a Kevin O'Leary into the mix. Next thing you know, we've got a U.S. election in our hands right well, here in Canada. Well, it would be definitely the most exciting <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> election you would ever see, you know, this side of the country. But, you know, the other thing, too, is is that not that it's just this, it's politicizing things, but it's really taking advantage of how people consume information these days. Mm. So they consume it in a very salacious way. So when you're looking for news, you know, sometimes you're looking on TMZ as opposed to CNN. So all of this is very salacious, tabloidy, and soundbitey because the general populace has about, pays about five seconds of attention. So if you can get them in their first five seconds or in 15 seconds, then you definitely get your 15 minutes. Alyssa Freeman's been with us, Principal Alyssa PR Communications, columnist, HuffingtonPostCanada.com and PR Daily, talking about the fiasco, uh, which could become Canadian politics. Thank you, Alyssa, as always. You're very welcome. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.